Grab your Bibles, turn with me to the book of John, chapter number 19. Amen. John, chapter number 19. Um, I'll be honest and tell you that maybe this is a bit of an unusual message to preach uh, at a youth service. Amen. But I believe the Holy Ghost is going to help us tonight. Amen. Will you, will you just roll with me tonight? Amen. Sometimes it's, it's, it's all right to break outside of the ordinary. And uh, sometimes it's, it's good to, to hear something other than what we expected. That's right. Amen. Amen. And I believe the Lord's going to help us in this house. I give honor to your pastor, Brother and Sister McCall, and their family. I love and appreciate these folks so very much. And uh, it is always a, a wonderful privilege to come to Lake City. And um, uh, so excited to be here tonight and honor each and every one of you. Uh, so I've been here so many times, almost like coming home. Amen, amen. So thank you for your kindness. John chapter number 19, a little bit of a a lengthy reading, but hang with me, I'll read fast. Verse number 1, John 19, Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him, and the soldiers planted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe, and said, Hail, King of the Jews, and they smote him with their hands. Verse number 6 says, When the chief priests therefore and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Take ye him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and by our law he ought to die, because he hath made himself the Son of God. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was the more afraid. Verse number 12 says, And from thenceforth Pilate sought to release him, but the crowd, the Jews, rather cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. For whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, the Bible says that he brought Jesus forth and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Somebody shout, Gabbatha. And it was the preparation of the Passover, and about the sixth hour he saith unto the Jews, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified, and they took Jesus and led him away. And he bearing his cross went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha. Somebody shout Golgotha. There they crucified him and two other with him on either side one, and Jesus in the midst. And Pilate wrote a title, put it on the cross, and the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. One more time before you're seated, would you put your Bible on your pew? Would you lift your hand in the air? Would you ask God to speak to us? And would you ask that His anointing would flood this house right now? God, we come into your presence tonight thankful for the move of your spirit that we have felt. We thank you for the good reports of camp that we have heard this week. And God, right now as we dive into your word, I ask that your anointing would rest upon me as I minister what you've laid on my heart for this service. I pray the anointing that is already upon your word would flow off of the page in this house. Let it touch every heart. Let it move every spirit. Let it minister to circumstances. I pray that young people and adults alike would be changed 
by the powerful word of an almighty God. Let there be liberty in this house. Let there be freedom. I pray that there would be a breakthrough in the Holy Ghost in somebody's life tonight. Let your spirit be poured out in a miraculous way. We thank you for it now. We praise you in Jesus' name. If you believe God's going to answer your prayer one more time, put those hands together and lift your voice in a shout. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Help us, Holy Ghost. Help us, Holy Ghost. Hallelujah, hallelujah. If you go help me preach, shout amen. God bless you. You may be seated. The New Testament begins with four varied yet consistent accounts of the life of Jesus. Following the account of his birth, the records of his many miracles, and the narratives of his teachings, it is here where the gospel is ultimately revealed and unveiled. It's in the climatic closing chapters of these four books where the gospel writers give insight and detail of the events that took place as Jesus neared the cross that had for so long awaited him. A simple study of crucifixion week will reveal the fact that a lot can change in just a few days. For example, on Palm Sunday, he rode a colt down the hill into the city. Yet on Friday, he bore the cross up the hill outside the city. On Sunday, the cry was Hosanna to the king. But Friday, they shouted, crucify him, crucify him. At the beginning of the week, there were acclamations. But by the end of the week, there were only accusations. For on Sunday, it was coronation. But on Friday, it's crucifixion. On Sunday, he is welcomed, but on Friday, he is now unwanted. These drastically differing conditions call questions to my mind. Questions like, what happened between Mount of Olives and Mount Calvary? What transpired between Sunday and the weekend? To these very questions, we find answers by tracing the footsteps of Jesus to some distinct locations, all of which play an integral part in the fulfillment of God's plan. There are many, in fact, there are seven locations that I could highlight, and I'm just going to highlight four so I don't get accused of being long-winded tonight. I'm going to have mercy on you tonight. Four locations, first of all, following the Last Supper, which I'll just slip it in, that was one of them. Following the Last Supper, Jesus tries to prepare himself, or the Last Supper was where he he tries to prepare his disciples. Now, in Gethsemane, he begins preparing himself through prayer for the agony that he knows is coming against him in the coming days. It's there in Gethsemane, under great sorrow and under great stress where he prays the model prayer for every believer. He says, oh my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Anybody prayed that prayer before? Then Jesus does something that we oftentimes never do. He says, but nevertheless, oh my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. The anguish that scripture tells of him enduring in prayer was but a foreshadowing of the greater agony and anguish that he would face. And with that being said, it becomes clear to us that Gethsemane was his hour of travail. 
As that prayer meeting comes to a close, Judas leads the multitude into the garden where he would betray the Son of Man with a kiss. And there Jesus was arrested and taken into custody. From Gethsemane, they violently escort him to the high priest and then before Pilate. And John says in chapter 19, verse 13, that Pilate brought Jesus forth and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. And I'll admit to you, I, in 25 years of being raised in an apostolic pew, I don't recall one time of hearing Gabbatha ever preached. Matter of fact, when I read this a few months ago and the word Gabbatha got my attention, I thought it was talking about my, my great third aunt Gabbatha that I didn't know I had. You all got one, aunt Gabbatha. But Gabbatha, in actuality, it, is, it was an architectural feature of Pilate's palace. Gabbatha was located just outside the common hall of the Roman headquarters. And it was by definition a raised or an elevated place. It was quite literally a rock slab covered with mosaic stones. It served as a courtroom. Gabbatha served as a place where public hearings were held. And it was here at Gabbatha where soldiers whose heart was as hard as the pavement upon which they stood led Jesus as a lamb to the slaughter. It's from this place where Jesus was subjected to the cruel indignities, indecencies, and interrogations of sinners. Here he was tried as a criminal. He was mocked as a suffering king and sentenced to death as an innocent man. Yes, Gethsemane was his hour of travail, but here it becomes clear that Gabbatha was his hour of trial. Although Gabbatha was appalling, it paled in comparison to the agony of Golgotha. This place, what we often call Calvary, is defined as meaning the place of a skull. It, along with a cross, carried connotations of death, sorrow, and suffering. It was here to Golgotha where they led Jesus with the cross on his back to where he would lay down his life for the sins of all mankind. It's from atop this hill that Jesus cries out, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. It's from Golgotha where he utters those famous last words, it is finished. Gethsemane was his hour of travail. Gabbatha was his hour of trial, but Golgotha was his hour of trauma. And as Joseph of Arimathea lowers his body down from the cross, he carries that body upon his shoulder to a freshly hewed garden tomb where Jesus was buried behind a stone. It would seem to be the end. It seemed to be the, the closing of an age, the end of an era. But how many knows that God is never limited to how things appear simply and solely on the surface? For it was in the garden that on the third morning where women came to find that the stone had been rolled away. They found that the body of Jesus was gone. And thirdly, they, they found an angel of the Lord that declared, why seek ye the living among the dead? For he is not here, for he is risen. Those women quickly found out that Friday may have brought sorrow, but Sunday is when gloom meets glory. 
Sundays when sorrow meets celebration, mourning meets majesty, weeping is turned into wonder on the third day. Ladies and gentlemen, Gethsemane may have been his hour of travail. Gabbatha may have been his hour of trial. Golgotha may have been his hour of trauma. But I've come to declare that the garden was his hour of triumph. I know it's not Easter Sunday, but I believe it's good to preach any Sunday. I'm still glad to know the grave could not contain him. Death could not keep him. Hell could not hold him. And the devil could not stop him. And many things could be said this evening. Many, many things could be preached. I could preach a real long-winded message on all four of these places for they all hold tremendous significance to the unfolding and fulfilling of salvation's plan. And although I do not intend tonight to discredit or belittle the significance of Gethsemane and the garden. I do feel compelled to draw your attention to the contrasting differences of this place called Gabbatha and this hill called Golgotha. With that being said, I preach to you on this thought, Gabbatha's crown and Golgotha's cross. They say that history repeats itself. They say that what happened yesterday has the potential to again happen tomorrow. And I believe if that really be true, I I believe that society today has returned and in a sense they are repeating and reliving Gabbatha's tragic scene. Jesus was ushered in to the judgment hall of Pilate's palace and upon Pilate's observing of him, Pilate walks outside to where the Jews had gathered on the pavement of Gabbatha and he begins seeking an explanation for this man's guilt. It quickly becomes clear to him that the Jews wanted this man to die. Pilate then returns into the judgment hall and he begins to interrogate Jesus now for himself, perhaps cynically wondering if he really is who he says that he is. Pilate's first question right out of the gate to Jesus was, art thou the king of the Jews? The way that translates into Oki Redneck terms is, who are you? What is your identity? In response, Jesus seemingly turns the tables and he begins interrogating Jesus for himself, or Pilate rather, for himself, saying, are you genuinely interested in truth? Or are you just trying to confirm the Jews' allegations? Pilate's answer made it very clear that his inquiry wasn't due to any personal pursuit of truth. So Pilate quickly moves on to question number two. This was in fact the question of the hour. Pilate asks him, what have you done? First it was, are you the king of the Jews? Who are you? Now it is, what have you done? Why are you here? What kind of crime have you committed? To this question, Jesus responds, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight for me so that I wouldn't be here. If it were, I wouldn't be in this position. I have someone to come to my defense. But he says, Mr. Pilate, make no mistake, I am not that kind of king. I can see it now as Pilate is struggling in his mind to to keep up with and comprehend what he's being told. So, so, so you are a king or you are not a king? Jesus then responds by saying, you tell me, I came into the world to bear witness of the truth. 
And everyone that hungers for truth recognizes my voice. With no intention of digging any deeper into this thing called truth and perhaps feeling like his questions have gotten him nowhere, Pilate casually grumbles, what is truth? And returns to the crowd in Gabbatha's courtyard, standing by his initial conclusion, I find no fault at all in this man. Pilate goes on to say, you do have a custom, and by your custom, I release one prisoner unto you at Passover. Then he poses a question, shall I pardon the king of the Jews? The crowd, to the amazement of some, the crowd shouts in an uproar, no, give us Barabbas. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, you heard that right. The crowd wants this innocent Jesus to die, yet they are willing to let this convicted robber, rebel, and revolutionary called Barabbas walk free. It is here where it becomes clear to me that society has chosen to echo the sentiments of Gabbatha's crowd. They seek to loose and lavish the wicked, yet ridicule and remove the righteous. Amen. Society today, they want to endorse the sinner but expel the Savior. They condemn wrong and criticize right. They advocate evil and abolish good. They defend worldliness and defy godliness. Amen. Culture says that you can live however you want to live. Culture says you can love whoever you want to love. Culture says you can define marriage and family however you want to define it. Culture says to pursue happiness long before you ever pursue godliness. And I've come on this Sunday night, even though it's a youth service, I've come to declare that it is the spirit of Gabbatha that promotes the idea that whether you agree with Barabbas' lifestyle or actions, or not. They are willing to accept sin into culture in order to have Jesus evicted from culture. For while Barabbas is now roaming the alleys of Jerusalem making it a more threatening place to live, Jesus is being judged for nothing more than making this world a better place to live. For in years past the crowd would have wanted him locked up. In days gone by, the crowd would have wanted him put behind bars for his sin. But now it's suddenly acceptable. Now he is wanted. Now he is accepted back into the streets of Jerusalem. And it is the spirit of Gabbatha that says, give us Barabbas and crucify Jesus. Let the transgressor walk free of conviction, but stop this Jesus at all costs. Let me be clear, ladies and gentlemen, I refuse to let society dictate to me what I stand for, whom I believe, and what I will follow. Amen. You can welcome Barabbas with open arms if you choose, but as for me, I choose to worship Jesus. You can stand for worldliness if that's what you choose, but I choose to stand for godliness. You can accept sin if you want to, but I choose to accept the Savior. You can condone wrong if you want, but I choose to defend what is right. You can settle for compromise if that's what you choose, but I choose to set my eyes on Jesus. Do what you want to do, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. 
in a world that's filled with wrong. I've purposed it in. I'm going to do everything that I can to fill my world with what's right. At the risk of sounding old-fashioned, I still believe if God said it's sin, it's sin. If God said it's wrong, it's wrong. But if God said it's right, then it is right. Time can't change that. Popular opinion can't change that. Political correctness cannot change that. Jesus said heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall never pass away. I echo the words of the old song tonight. I'll stand for Jesus and let the world go on by. I refuse to get sidetracked with what this world does. I refuse to be confused and lured by the attacks of the enemy. I've chosen to set my eyes on Jesus and I will follow him. I will stand for him and I will cling to him. Come on, man. At the insistent pressure of Gabbatha's crown, Pilate orders that Jesus be beaten with a whip of sharp bone and metal fragments. This debris-laced weapon begins ripping open his flesh, making wounds that sent his body into shock. On his head, they place a crown of thorns. On his back, they put a purple robe. And in sheer blasphemy, they greet him by saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Gabbatha's crowd gets a glimpse of this now bruised and bloodied prisoner. Pilate had hoped that this would suffice them, this would be enough. But they shouted in an uproar, Crucify! Crucify! Pilate attempts yet again to deliver Jesus back into their hands, but the Jews were persistent in their desire to see this man die. You must understand, ladies and gentlemen, they were not uh, they were not satisfied with a suffering Jesus. They wanted a crucified Jesus. Man, and if I could be so honest, our world today isn't satisfied with a less prominent gospel. They want a silent gospel. Hell doesn't want a weary church. Hell wants a defeated church. And the devil is not satisfied just because he got you to let go of a little bit. He will not stop until you let go of everything that God has given you. May I remind you what 1 Peter 5 and 8 said, your enemy walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Ladies and gentlemen, hell doesn't give up easy. Hell doesn't just throw in the towel. Hell fights for the fulfillment of its plan. Hell fights for what it wants. It fights for what it believes in. And I rise on this Sunday night to declare that if hell can hold on, then I too can hold on. If the crowd can be persistent, then I refuse to let them walk all over me. I too can be persistent in what I believe. If hell won't give up easy, then I'm not going to give up easy. If the devil can push his way through, then I'm going to push my way through. If the world can be determined, then I too can be determined. For if Satan is in this for a fight, I've come to declare that I am in this for a win. For I will be victorious. I refuse to be intimidated. I refuse to be silenced by popular opinion of the crowd. Pilate pulls Jesus back into the judgment hall and anxiously asks him, where did you come from? Pilate's question, Jesus remains silent. By his silence and unresponsiveness, Pilate then just kind of flies off the handle at Jesus and says, you're not going to answer me. Do you know who I am? 
I have the power to release you or sentence you to death. You're not going to answer my question. Jesus says to him, the only power you've got is what has been given to you from above. The only authority you have is what has been placed into your hand. Pilate endeavors, Bible says one final time, to release Jesus, but gather this crowd, would not turn loose of their agenda. Pilate is now pressured into doing what he cannot find reason to do. With reluctancy and obligation, Pilate climbs the steps to where the judgment seat sat. And overlooking Gabbatha's courtyard, he says to the crowd, shall I crucify your king? The crowd cries back, We have no king but Caesar. Away with him. Away with him. Crucify him. Ladies and gentlemen, if history really does repeat itself, then in 2016, more than ever before, we are seeing a revival of the spirit of Gabbatha. The crowd wants nothing to do with Jesus. They discredit his doctrine and they doubt his power. At all costs, they want him removed from here and taken out of there. They seek to reason him away with just intellect. They desire to live only according to man's rule. They don't want to be convicted of their sin. They don't want to be reminded of the guilt of their past. But they have, in fact, placed God in a place of judgment, reasoning in themselves that he cannot be who he says that he is. Tell me I'm not preaching about our society today. John even points out that it was evening time. It was evening time when Jesus was arrested in Gethsemane. It was the night shift officers that made the arrest. It's puzzling to me that they could not wait till morning. They could not wait till daybreak to begin Jesus' trial. Scholars believe that it was somewhere between 1 a.m. and 6 a.m. when Jesus' trial began. The Jews were of the opinion that we finally have him in the grip of our hand. We have him just hours from death and we cannot stop. We can't let another night go by. We can't get sleep. We can't just, we can't just wait. He's in our hands now and we will not stop until he is hanging on a cross. And the enemy's agenda was so strong. Their, their, their opinions and their, their wants and their desires were so strong that they were willing to lose sleep. They were willing to deny themselves natural rest. No wonder our world today is in such a state of unrest. They are so sad and they are so focused on doing away with Jesus and ridding themselves of the gospel that they are willing to sacrifice rest in order to accomplish their agenda. You say, Brother Hard, why are you preaching this tonight? I'm preaching this tonight because we must not let the spirit of Gabbatha overtake us. 
maybe this isn't a typical evangelist message, but just roll with me tonight. The spirit of Gabbatha is fighting. It has taken over our world. I don't believe it's satisfied with just getting into society. It wants to get into the church. It wants to get into your heart. It wants to, it wants to possess the minds of every born again, Holy Ghost filled young person and every Holy Ghost filled adult. The spirit of Gabbatha wants to get in you and consume you and overtake your thinking and convince you that you don't need God anymore. You don't have to follow after the teachings of the word of God anymore. It's the spirit of Gabbatha that tells you, I'm not sure salvation takes all that. Amen. It's the spirit of Gabbatha that says, you don't have to live holy anymore. You don't have to submit to spiritual authority anymore. You don't have to separate yourself from this world anymore. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the spirit of Gabbatha. And I've come to declare, I'm looking for somebody in this house tonight that will stand in your spirit and say, if Jesus is being tried in the night, I refuse to lay idly by in my bed of comfort and in my bed of ease. But I will awaken my Myself in this dark hour. Come on, I'm preaching to this generation right now. I will awaken myself. I will pull myself up out of sleep. I'll awaken from slumber. And even now, in this night season, I will defend him. I will cling to him. I will stand for him in spite of the crowd. You can become satisfied at Gabbatha if you want to. You can become content at Gabbatha if you choose. But I must tell you that at Gabbatha, there is no salvation. But the McCall, at Gabbatha, there's no redemption. At Gabbatha, there is no atonement. You see, Jesus did not go on to Golgotha so that you could stay behind at Gabbatha. I understand Gabbatha was, was necessary uh, for him to reach Golgotha, but he did not shed his blood uh, so that you could stay behind uh, in a place of judgment. He did not die so, you, so that you could reason him away. Jesus traveled on to Golgotha so that we would have the opportunity to be forgiven of our sins through repentance, be permitted of our past through baptism, and then be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost by evidence of speaking in another tongue. And that is why Jesus could not stop at Gabbatha because he knew the only thing that could fix the spiritual unrest of mankind was the comforting power of the Holy Ghost. Let me push pause in my notes and preach for about 12 seconds. The only thing that can fix spiritual unrest is the comforter, is the power of the Holy Ghost. If you feel like hell has been working you over lately, if you feel like all of hell has been coming against your mind and trying to get you discouraged and trying to get you defeated, I've come to declare you need to get a fresh dose of the Holy Ghost and allow the comforter to ease the unrest in your life. good news is that in spite of Satan's efforts, the crowd's agenda at Gabbatha could not stop God's agenda at Golgotha. They thought that by crucifying him on a cross, they thought it would put an irremovable mark of infamy upon him. They thought that it would forever sink his reputation, that no one would follow him now. No one would believe in him now. No one would speak his name now. 
would be classified with the worst of criminals. He would be despised and rejected of all men. As this scene unfolded on Calvary's hill, I can see it now as the devil calls up all of his imps and his demons in the corridor of hell. And they begin laughing. They begin rejoicing, confident that the light would no longer shine. Truth would no longer reign. Love would no longer live. Satan thinks that finally the world is mine. What he doesn't yet realize is that while he parties in hell, meanwhile, back at the cross, all is not lost, but forgiveness is being purchased with every drop of blood that falls to the ground. What he doesn't realize is, is redemption is being bought. Mercy is being outstretched. Grace is being extended to you and to I. To the amazement of the crowd, from that day forward, Golgotha's cross no longer symbolized shame. It no longer symbolized hurt. In fact, the, the, the symbol of the cross was forever changed. It was forever reversed. Now the cross signifies redemption from sin. Now it signifies freedom from guilt. Now it signifies atonement for the soul. It signifies healing for your affliction. It signifies liberation for those that are bound. Society has tried its best to erase Golgotha. I'll even go as far as to tell you that Christian culture, in some circles, the church, has tried to take the blood out of our songs. They've tried to remove the blood and the cross out of our preaching. It's too graphic. It's too gory. But I've come to declare without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. They've tried to do away with it. They've tried to say that it doesn't work anymore. But of all the things that Calvary can do, and I love to preach what Calvary can do, but out of all those things that Calvary can do, there is one thing that Calvary cannot do. Calvary cannot hide. It doesn't matter how many songs they, they clear off the shelf. It doesn't matter how many songs they take off of Caleb. It doesn't matter how many songs they rip out of the songbook. It doesn't matter how many messages they throw in a fire and burn. Calvary will not hide. Calvary still calls out to every hurting heart, every troubled soul, every sick body. Calvary still cries. Should they choose to bulldoze Golgotha's hill tomorrow, Brother McCauley, it would not change a thing. For it was not the hill that made the difference. It was the old rugged cross and the crimson blood that flowed down for my sin and for your. I wonder if I'm preaching anybody in this house tonight that you are still thankful for the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm feeling my help right now. It's not in my notes. I once was lost, but now I'm found. It wasn't my talents that saved me. It wasn't my good works that saved me. It was the blood of Jesus. It wasn't this world that made me who I am. It wasn't just good preaching alone that made me who I am. It was the blood of Jesus. Come on, if you're thankful it was the blood that reached you one day, somebody ought to clap your hands right now and give God praise. The concept of what I'm preaching tonight is most beautifully exemplified 
in the closing moments of Jesus' life. The Bible says that Jesus hung on a cross between two thieves. One on one side, another on the other. One gospel writer says that one thief, as they hang on their crosses and fight for their next breath, one thief lifts up his voice and begins to rail on Jesus. This thief begins to curse him. If you are who you say that you are, save us. Save yourself. If you really are God in the flesh, if you really are King of kings, Lord of lords, do something about your predicament right now. Do something about your condition. Save yourself. Call a legion of angels to come to your rescue. Get you out of your misery. This thief rails, curses him, doubting his power, uninterested in his message. This, this thief, overtaken by the spirit of the age, choosing to blend in with the opinion of the crowd, said, we don't need him. There's nothing to his, his gospel. There's nothing to his teaching. But yet we also read that there was another thief that hung on the other side. And this thief begins to lift up his voice and he addresses his criminal friend and said, hey, Paul, we, we deserve to be here. He says, our, our sins, our choices, our crimes, our messed up mistakes, they have led us to this point. We deserve to die. Our past has led us to this place. We deserve to hang here. We deserve all the shame. We deserve all the mockery. We deserve to die. But he said, this man that hangs between you and me, he doesn't deserve this. He has done nothing wrong. He's, we're not in the same league as him. He's never done anything wrong. He is sinless. He is spotless. Yeah. This thief turns his attention from his criminal friend and now addresses Jesus. He cries out and says, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me. One thief wanted nothing to do with him. One thief doubted who he was and doubted his power. But this, this thief cries out and says, Remember me. Now some would believe that this thief was asking God to make a mental note of who he was. Call me to your memory when you come into your kingdom. Maybe he was. Maybe he wasn't. I don't know. Got my theology degree out of a Cracker Jack box. I don't know. But maybe this thief knew just enough about Jesus to know that he was raised the son of a carpenter. And he grew up swinging hammers, driving nails, taking pieces of wood, bringing them together, making something useful, making something whole, making something beautiful. And maybe this thief's choice of words, remember me, was from the perspective of Mr. Carpenter, can you take the broken, fragmented pieces of a life that's been torn apart by sin and can you re- Remember me. 
can you put my life back together? Can you make something useful out of this mess? Can you say, make something? Can you remember me? Jesus responds to his desperation and says, This day you'll be with me in paradise. It's puzzling to me that while one thief wanted nothing to do with him, while one thief chose to blend in with the crowd, one thief chose to just let the spirit of the age consume him. It's what everybody else is doing. I don't need him. But this other thief was willing to go against the grain. This other thief was willing to go against what everybody else was doing. He chose to go along with the minority. He chose to go along with the mother of Jesus and the disciple that stood there at the foot of the cross. So they're in the minority. They're, they're, they're just a few that believe on him, but maybe right then and there as he took his final breaths, he got the revelation, not of Gabbatha's crowd, but of Golgotha's cross. He realized right then and there, more than I need the crowd, I need him. More than I need their opinions, more than I need their philosophies, more than I need them to set the trends of culture. I've got to have this man that hangs six feet from me. For if to be physically in close in proximity to Jesus was enough, the other thief could have coasted his way into heaven. For he was physically close. He was six feet from salvation. Six feet from salvation. Yet he missed out on the greatest revelation known to man. The power of Golgotha's cross. I understand the simple preaching tonight. Nothing profound. Nothing to blow your theological socks off with. But I believe with all of my heart that if the preaching on the cross doesn't move us, we probably haven't been there lately. If the remembrance of the blood that was shed for you and I doesn't affect us, if it doesn't stir up something within us, and chances are we may be slipping back into the crowd. Unbeknownst to us, we might be slipping back and being numbered among the opinion of the day. For it's the cross that saved me. It's the blood that redeemed me. And after all these years, I still need him. I said I still need him. My question as I close this evening, my question is simple. Which thief will you identify with? Which thief will you choose? For as much as we probably don't like to admit it, we are probably more like the thieves than we would like to admit. We've all got checkered pasts. We've all made mistakes. What 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 the Old Testament writers say? Righteousness was as filthy rags. One said, "We're just beggars in need of a savior." But who will we choose to identify with? Will we choose to be among the crowd? I know I'm preaching to young people tonight, but. 
But we choose to blend in with the crowd, go along with everybody else, go along with society. Follow the opinion of today. Follow this world's agenda. What the crowd say to, to Pilate? If you let this man go, you're not Caesar's friend. Caesar's not your friend, young person. This world is not your friend. Society's not your friend. Culture is not your friend. Your friend is the one that took on your sin. Your friend's the one that became sin for you, though he knew sin not. Your friend's the one that shed blood, gave his life so that you could be free. Hands lifted all over this building tonight. Stand to your feet with me. I wonder if there's someone in this place tonight that would willingly step out of your pew and say, I refuse to blend in with the crowd. Gabbatha's crowd, it didn't save me. Gabbatha's crowd, they're not going to redeem me. It's Golgotha's cross. There's a touch of the Holy Ghost in this house right now. I invite every young person. I invite every adult. I invite every elder. If there's struggles going on in your life right now, if there are circumstances that you do not understand, if there are battles you are fighting in your family, in your home, if there are questions about your future, if there are things that you're uncertain of, I invite you right now, step out from among the crowd. <laughs> Come on, step out from among the crowd. Don't be, among, don't be numbered among society's opinion. Make your way to Golgotha's cross. It's where you find your strength. It's where you find your hope. It's where you find salvation. Come on, young person. Come on, you, come on hyphen. Come on, young adult. Come on, adult. That's it. Go against the grain right now. Go against the opinion of today. Go against what Caesar says. Go against what the world says. Make your way to the cross. I still need him. I still need this man that hung on that middle tree. Come on, let your cry be heard all over this building right now. Let your cry be heard by the Lord right now. I need you. Remember me right now. Oh, God, remember me right now. I'm not satisfied among the crowd. I'm not satisfied in my sin. I'm not satisfied in my addictions. I'm not satisfied in my hurts and in my pains and in my wounds of the past. I'm coming to Golgotha's cross and letting the revelation of the blood cleanse me on a Sunday night in the middle of the summer. Come on, in Jesus' name, somebody lift your voice right now.